Hi guys, Karen here. Thanks for tuning in for another um, episode, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. This is actually uh, some highlights from my Inner Sanctum, our Inner Sanctum online sessions where uh, we have membership, people join and you get to meet me and you can ask me questions. I'm online a couple of times a month uh, with online sessions and also once a month I invite a guest teacher. Today I invited Susie Hansen this month, September, to join us and I just love this conversation so much and I decided to upload pretty much all of it uh, today. It's, uh, normally I just take out about 30, 40 minutes uh, snippets to honour my guests so that people who view my public shows can see who's come into the Inner Sanctum and speak to my little tribe. But I just loved this conversation this week. It just seems to be dovetailing with so many conversations that I've had on the show recently and uh, what's in store for us next year. So uh, I decided to pretty much put the whole thing uh, free to the public this month. I've taken out about half an hour of people's questions and uh, put, put pretty much all of it online. Just fascinating conversation about our joining our cosmic family and... Uh, collective consciousness and and you know tapping into our own human potential with our consciousness so if you'd like to join the inner sanctum it's not expensive at all i'm actually going to put the price up next year it's going to be a little bit more expensive uh have a look on the website karenswain.com slash inner sanctum you'll see what's happening and uh, you get to ask me questions and you get to ask some of my guests questions you get to meet some of the guests i have on the show i usually invite about 12 guest speakers to come in once a month over the shows and uh, then we have a little tribe that you can talk to you can discuss what you're doing your awakening process or if you're out there as a difference maker as a healer as a light weaver you know you've got a little tribe that you can connect with and talk to about how you're doing that part of the three waves of volunteers which is what we talk about quite extensively with Susie uh, this this time in the inner sanctum so I know that the people that are watching this show and tuning into all the things I do are a part of that volunteer program not necessarily connected to the specific galactic or ET race that Susie is but a part of a consciousness that have volunteered to be here on earth at this time to help with the shift in human consciousness and the evolution of human consciousness to move to a, a more expansive way of living and to rejoin our cosmic brothers and sisters in the universe and live a more unified, loving, creative, connected life. So enjoy the time that we have together with Susie. I'll speak to you soon. Lots of love. When I upload the highlights of the Inner Sanctum is I don't put your faces like I pr uh, respect all your privacy. I just put me and Susie on and um, if somebody asks a great question that I want to have on the highlights, I'll just, um, you know, put something over your face. I'd like to talk about today and really this Inner Sanctum is for people to meet you, Susie, and, and hear your story and obviously ask you questions about your experience and who we are connected to our cosmic brothers and sisters and how that dovetails with being human and what they come to share with us. But I'd really love to go into the three waves of volunteers because, you know, when I was talking to Kevin, I was talking about you and telling him what you were saying. And then the other day, we discussed when I had you on the show, 
that Dolores has become quite famous for talking about the three waves of volunteers. And just coincidentally, I listened to an old thing with Dolores the other day talking about the three waves of volunteers. I hadn't heard her talk about it for a long time. And having had the conversation with you about it, I realized that, you know, she had the concept that there were three waves of volunteers, but she really did not have the detail and that you go into. And I, and I love the detail that you go into because the people who join the Inner Sanctum and who listen to the shows are really those volunteers. They're really people that have come to this planet to be of service, to help in the upliftment of humanity and um, the difference makers, I call them as a more generic. So your knowledge of the three waves of volunteers are really is really fascinating. Do you want to talk about that? Okay. Well, um, I was first told about um, this by the, the Greys when I was eight years old. And, um, and I describe in my book a situation where I was taken on board craft with a lot of other children and I expected them to bring another child in, but instead they brought in a large ball of blue light. And, um, and I was quite disappointed because I was expecting that I'd be meeting a child that I could talk to and play with. So this first introduction of the three waves happened at that moment and that is that um, I, I felt this enormous confusion and emotion come over me because I felt as if I knew this blue ball of light and I felt as if I loved it and I couldn't explain that. Um, I, so I started crying and, um, and the grey put um, three different levels of information into my mind telepathically. The first one was just a general introduction that um, this blue ball of light is going to be your son one day. The soul will be the soul of your son. You're going to grow up, get married, have children, and one of those children will be this soul incarnated in a body. Uh, so that was a brief explanation. Then he pushed into my mind, I suppose you could call it a download. Some people call it that. But a massive amount of information about um, the three waves, what was going to happen, what I was part of, what my son was part of, and many other souls like us. Um, and all that information went into the subconscious, some of it into the conscious mind. And then he fil finished it off with a last stream of information that was quite simple. And that was, we're going to leave you in the room to play together and get to know each other now. We won't be far away. And off they went. The three greys left. So um, I began to communicate with this soul telepathically using consciousness. All of that is possible. So um, we had this rapport that happened over a few minutes and we did childlike things like I chased it around the room and it chased me around the room. And I remember doing some cartwheels to show the soul what I could do, all those things that a child would do. And, um, and then they came in and said, this is going to work fine. There's a, there's a link between you that's going to work fine. When you come back on craft over many, many years, um, you will see this blue ball of light and relate to it on other occasions. There's a lot you need to learn together and there's things you're going to do together when you are older. Um, and that was that. I was then taken back to the playroom and on the way I said, can I tell the other kids? And they said, no, this is just for you. It's not for the other children in the room. And at that point, he just put his hand towards my head and all memory of what I'd just experienced just faded gently away at that point. 
um, later on that year, still at the age of eight, but nearly nine, um, I was taken on board craft again, and this time I, the, the process was beginning to happen to me in childhood, and that is um, I was introduced to a whole stream of souls, all different colored little balls of light in the room, and they were people who had already incarnated or would incarnate in the future, so they would be younger than me, but they would play instrumental roles at different points of my life. And um, as these souls came towards me, um, in my own mind, my mind's eye, I could see aspects of the life that they would lead at the point when I would meet them in the future. And there's two of those souls who I have um, recognized in life simply by the image that they showed me at that time. It's like a futuristic image in my mind. So... Um, I was given a great deal of information and right throughout my life I can see that um, the the activities that I have done on, on board craft, the people that I have been with on craft, the lectures I have attended have all been leading to the fulfillment of what the three waves of volunteer souls are meant to do. Now I'd just like to add at this point um, about Dolores, um, I first spoke about uh, the three waves in a very minimal way at a conference in 2007 in Sydney. And um, I was approached by an Australian experiencer afterwards who said to me, I'm going to get a copy of your speech DVD and I'm going to give it to Dolores Cannon. She's coming here in a few weeks to do a workshop and I'm sure she would be interested. I'm assuming they did give her a, a copy of my speech. Um, she came, I was there in June, she came early November to Sydney um, because in February after Christmas and New Year is the first time February 2008 when Dolores began speaking about the three waves and what she said as you have pointed out was very minimal and basically was what I had said on my speech DVD because I was not divulging all of the information I had because I wanted to write it in my book. However, circumstances prevented me at that time, um, ill health and other difficulties in life, uh, from writing my book. And when I attended the UFO Congress in the States in 2010, Dolores was there selling her book about the three waves, um, which she had completed the year before. It's a collection of... Um, of regressions and um, the actual amount that she states about the three waves, as I said, is minimal. It's about a page and a half, really, and it relates to what I said on my DVD. So, yes, I do feel that I was the originator of this concept from the ETs and, um, and that I have a, certainly have a great deal more information about it, which I write about in my book. Um, yeah, yeah. Also... Many people have spoken about the three ways of volunteers. Barbara Marciniak was talking about it many years ago as well. But, you know, this sort of information is given to us for humanity. I don't think anyone, you know, kind of owns it. But I have to say that Dolores had a lot of information that came through her clients that she's put out to the world and she's done an amazing job. But your information about the volunteers has been so comprehensive, I think, that mm. um, it's... Uh, oh, you're frozen again, Susie. Uh, I yes. think that you're... Can you hear me? Because there's funny yeah. things happening. I know, there's funny things um, happening. Yes, the reason why I mentioned um, 
uh, Dolores and the Three Waves is not because uh, I don't think that there are other people who've been given the same information. Um, it's just that I have actually been attacked on occasions and told that I had plagiarized Dolores's work. So I just wanted to make it clear that that was not the case. I know. Look, the human mind, you know, humans and their egos, they get really lost with this whole ego thing because, you know, from the divine mind, there's no competition, there's no ownership, we're all one and we can all tap into the same stream of consciousness as anybody else. But then we can become human and we start, you know, claiming ownership and attacking people. I mean, it's just crazy how the ego, mm. the ego gets so lost in this whole separateness concept. Yes, you know, Dolores did her work and bless her, she's, she did amazing work while she was incarnate uh, and you're doing amazing work too, Susie. And um, what I love about your story is how the ETs have a complete understanding of soul, of consciousness. Like we down here on earth think, can, uh, do we live after death and can we communicate with the dead? And we make it all so spooky and, you know, we go to psychics like Judy was talking about to have this afterlife communication. And the ETs are playing with consciousness, playing with souls like you did when you were a kid, you know, playing with the soul before it incarnates. It's just a soul, a, a, a form of consciousness. I don't know what you call it, but um, <coughs> anyway, please go on, Susie. Now, sort of lost well, we, track. You were saying that you had played with the soul of your son and then you met uh, all these other souls that were different colours mm. and you were told that they were going to be people that you would meet later in life and um, you've met one or two of them, did you say? Yes, I have. Um, and certainly one of them was Dr. Rudy Schild who contributed to my book. When I first saw a video of um, Rudy talking about black holes and quasars on a, at a conference. Um, I was instantly uh, transfixed by looking at him because I, I felt as if I knew him and I knew him quite well. In fact, I didn't know him at all and I'd never met him. And um, I spent several years trying to track him down and, um, and eventually got in touch with him and uh, asked him if he would be willing to have a look at some of the chapters in my book that related to uh, space and um, astrophysics, I guess. And he was very happy to do that. And we, we had a look at various chapters, some of the milder ones, if I can put it that way. And he said he understood it all in terms of physics and astrophysics. Then he asked me to send him some chapters that he, that I thought might stretch him a bit. So I did that and um, he came back to me and really surprised me by saying, well, those are the ones that I actually understand the most. And that was quite a surprise to me because I thought, um, you know, that it sounded too sci-fi for an astrophysicist even to understand. And I didn't understand the scientific side of it myself. So I was seeking that kind of um, understanding and guidance through the, the material that I had. So um, he offered to contribute to the book, which was very good of him. And it took us several years to when he was free and when I was free to work our way through the chapters and, um, and he made notes and uh, footnotes and did a scientific epilogue for the book. Beautiful. The other person that um, I believe I saw as a child was Graham Opie. 
who passed away in 2015. He was my right-hand man and very close friend and colleague for 20 years in New Focus NZ in New Zealand. And um, really he, um, I think in New Zealand at least, he really helped the public to realize that this is actually a serious subject because of the fact that he was a practicing air traffic controller when he joined our, our civilian UFO sighting investigation group. Um, but also he was a pilot as well. So I think we, we nicknamed Graham, uh, in Ufocus NZ, we nicknamed him the credibility factor because when we spoke to the media, they always gave more credence to what Graham had to say than the rest of us, simply because of his professional background. And uh, so I think that he, he uh, helped under, public understanding of the UFO subject uh, along a great deal here in New Zealand. Mm, beautiful. About it. Um, and so, uh, was when I was eight years old on a craft, and I was told about the three waves and the, the structure of the programs, and I didn't understand a lot of it at the time. But um, as I got older, I have understood what they were talking about and can see it in action almost every day. Everywhere I go to speak or experience the groups I speak to, I see that program and those three waves in action um, with people coming forward doing things and and saying things that tie in with what I was told. Yeah, so let's go into what you were told. The first wave. Okay, the first wave, um, and this is my, uh, my understanding of it, in, uh, which is a little bit different from um, what some researchers out there are saying. Uh, we've got a lot of talk about star kids, um, indigo kids, crystal kids, new humans. This has been around for decades now yeah. about um, the souls incarnating who are bringing forward some quite wondrous um, aspects to their personality, character and the things that they can actually do. But as the three ways were explained to me by the ETs, um, this group is not the massive, massive group worldwide that some researchers are claiming. They are a half of the first wave. So the each of the three waves that was explained to me was broken into two parts, one which comes in much earlier and one that comes in later and continues coming in. So um, <clears throat> in my mind, the, the categories that people have, have uh, assigned over the years to these children or humans with quite extraordinary talents, um, psychic and using consciousness are actually a part of the first wave. Now, um, it's all a little bit back to front. It takes a little while um, to understand how these waves function. So the second half of the first wave, which is what some people might call the star kids, mm -hmm. uh, is still coming in and will continue mm -hmm. to come in. Mm -hmm. But by far, and they're here really to to show us what our potential is and, and what we can actually do. And many of them are involved in the environment and spiritual groups, etc. But <clears throat> really it's um, some of the following groups that are going to do the most work. And this is where I believe, and this is only my take on it as explained to me by the ETs, I believe that the um, it's actually the second wave and the third wave who are um, have the, the heaviest workload and the others are here to to be to be and to demonstrate the rest are there to work very 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 hard okay so the first wave really started coming in you know maybe a hundred years ago as as prophets and teachers and gurus and things like that I'm 
I'm thinking of Blavatsky and uh, Yogananda and people like that, people that will come in with a higher form of consciousness, right? Would that be yes. right? Yeah. And, um, and then they started coming in more prolific, like more on mass, like after the bomb went off. Um, what I noticed, because I've got to say that when I listen to you, I, I relate it to what I've been doing over the last 30, 35 years in this arena. So when I'm in my 30s, I'm surrounded by women in their 50s, 60s and 70s that are all into energy healing and spiritual work. They're not necessarily working at it, mm-hmm. but they're learning about it. And so the, the majority of them were born sort of just after the war, you know, like the 50s. Well, I'm born in the 60s. And um, they were kind of the way showers. So they held the consciousness of like energy and, conscious, you know, like. And then the younger ones that came after them sort of had more, like they came on the heels of the first wave, you know what I mean? They were sort of the way showers, these older predominantly women I have to say when I we did spiritual groups 20 30 years ago were just women middle-aged women <laughs> older women predominantly and now the younger ones uh like you could say the indigo children they're, they they can be in their 20s 30s 40s and the kids are holding that same form of consciousness they're very psychic they understand energy they know how to manipulate energy <coughs> like energy healing is that what you're talking about so these are all part of the first wave well, from from the sounds of what you're describing, some of those people, I would put them into the second wave category. Okay. A, a lot of the second wave, well, the second wave category are the people who've um, who've been taken on board craft as part of specific programs. So there are a lot of um, children who who are probably first wavers who talk about going on craft, but they're going on for a different reason. So there are a huge amount of programs um, being run by the ETs and probably millions and millions of people who are involved in them. The second wave at present, only at present, is by far the largest wave. And most of the people in that have what I would categorize as the early contactees, the abductees, and the later, the experiencers who who sort of broke off from the um, abductee group back in the 70s and 80s. And um, and they've they're many of those are ones who have been in the um, the hybrid programs. They have been involved with um, babies being born on craft and elsewhere. So we've got um, we've got a, a real mix of people being taken on board for a variety of reasons. But they are the, the what we pe- would call a nuts and bolts contactors, nuts and bolts people who who've had the contact and been on a craft. Um, And really a lot of them now um, are coming to realize that that's what's happened to them. And in my book, I stated that the ETs had said that time would come when there would be an absolute avalanche of people coming forward in my age group. So in their fifties, sixties and older um, to talk about their, their experiences on craft and, and having flashback memories. By far the, the most amount of people I'm dealing with at pres- working with at present are those in that age group, just heaps and heaps of people coming forward, um, wanting to go public, telling their families about it, talking about it publicly, writing books. There's just a huge amount of people in that category now. And from the second wave group, we have, um, we have the, the parents of many of the, thir- of the third wave. 
And the third wave are coming forward through again as very specific, talented children. And I do think that some researchers out there are mistaking some third wave children as, as um, star kids from the first wave. But there is a very distinct difference there. Um, and the third wave are the ones who are going to take us into the future. They have had the most education on board craft as a soul being taken on board craft as a human being taken on board craft and as their et self as well which i talk about as the dual soul so um, these people are going to be the game changers in the future many of them now uh, the many of the early ones now are in their 30s mid 30s early 30s and and slightly older but there there is a, a real uh, narrow margin of their age group but they will continue to be born um, into the future coming in um, to work uh, with a, a huge knowledge of the ET species and coming in to work with us as we move towards um, maybe joining our cosmic neighbours as as neighbours that we actually know. Mm -mm. And what's their mandate? What um, What are they doing exactly? Well, the, the third wave... Um, uh, Many of them at present do not recall their experiences or have minimal memory of it. But of course they have a parent, most of them, who, who do have recollection or who will probably come to that recollection fairly soon. Um, and they're generally highly intelligent, very analytical, mm. very compassionate, have uh, very advanced psychic skills, which they keep under wraps. So they're not overt in their skills like the first wave star kids, etc., who who are quite happy to exhibit their their skills in their day to day life. Many of the th most of the third wave are much more quiet about that. Um, they've been taught that that that's to as a, a protection mechanism for them and in, going into the future that they keep that kind of thing under wraps and that they make it a, a part of their personality and the way they work so instead of um, being more overt and with what they do they they are keeping it to using their discernment and how it is used and very much using that discernment in the work that they do so a lot of these people will be right across the board in many different professions and uh, jobs and, and uh, employment. And they will be slowly at present working their way into positions of power in a positive sense. So good influence, positive influence and the ability to, to make decisions. So they're going to become the decision makers of the future. By the time they're in their 40s and 50s, um, they'll be really in full swing and they will be the game changers, I believe, who will be making those necessary changes that are coming up very fast for us in medicine, in health, in education, in law, for example, right across the board. All of those institutions that run our societies are going to have to change as we come, become more aware, uh, as we are more accepting of the ET presence and as we come, become more of a telepathic and conscious society. So that they will be in the forefront of those massive changes and they'll be begin using the skills that they've been taught and the understandings that they've acquired from the ETs in those positions. And those of them who have minimal contact will probably start to have more memory. Sorry, minimal memory will start to have more memory 
and those who haven't got much memory will will likely start to get flashbacks and need the support of the older people in the second wave to um, to help them assimilate that and work through that quite absolutely. quickly. Absolutely. So it's so interesting that you say that. Yesterday, you know, in my home, there was about, you know, a dozen of us, predominantly older women, some younger, <laughs> predominantly older. Uh, and and that's exactly what I felt as I sat there. I felt like um, the majority of us were here to, because some of us are working as therapists and some of us aren't. Um, you know, some of us are mothers or artists or teachers in normal main scheme schools. But I felt like we were there to support that third wave as they, you know, grow up and go out into the world and do their work to have that sort of older influence that's been, um, like, for instance, one of my friends has been doing all manner of healing courses for like 25, 30 years. I think she's done every single one of them. It's like, so she's not working as a healer, but she's well-versed in consciousness technology and energy healing and tell you know, like she's well-versed in the whole thing. So yeah, I really felt like a lot of us were there to support that that third wave. That's yeah, that's out mm. doing the work. Well, um, I think that that's a really good point, Karen. That um, you know that many of the people in the second wave are just ordinary people like myself. I was a school teacher. Um, there's people, as you said, doing energy work and doing um, you know all kinds of jobs, and and we're just people. But we have had this um, experience that's outside of the box, outside of the norm. And, um, and most of us, I think, have that real commitment to share that at the right time. And I think more and more people are using their discernment and beginning to realize the importance of timing in all of this. Particularly yeah. when you're talking to other people, you can't... Um, you can't shove your ideas down their throat. You know, there's this this point of readiness that people have to get to before they can really take things on board and and um, and come to to seek that information themselves and to have that understanding that goes with with it. So there's readiness and there's timing, and to me, those are two really important words going on into the future. Yeah, readiness and timing. You know, one of the ladies that was here yesterday, a friend of mine, she has this extraordinary 12-year-old son and uh, he is just amazing. He's just so hyper-intelligent, incredibly intuitive, but she struggles because he, the other kids don't get him and he's a real loner. And so, you know, we were discussing yesterday, like Mary was saying, is he unhappy? And she's saying, no, he's not unhappy, but I'm unhappy because he's such a loner. And the other kids don't include him in their parties and stuff. But he's such a highly evolved being. He's so amazing. He always has been. He's 12 now and I've known him since he was born. And uh, she struggles as a mother because she wants him to fit in and go to the parties and all sorts of things. But um, he's definitely going to do something. Like he's part of the third wave. Like he's like bubbling away. He's so highly intelligent. He's going to, I don't know, do something. I think that Mary was talking about, you know, she's progressed many kids. One kid said, oh, well, I'm here to clean up the environment, you know, and he's going to be a scientist and he'll sort of do that. And he knows that he's come in. He's like, this is why I'm here. And, you know, I'm here to clean up the environment. He's like really young and he knows his mandate. So it's, yeah, that's all part of the third wave, right? 
Yes, it can be, and, it, and again, it can also be the first a first waiver as well. It can be a starker doing that talking, but um, but yes, um, I think the third wave are they will be decision makers, and they're very highly analytical. And um, I describe in my book a time when I was on board craft with my son, and he was being put through his paces um, with his ability to memorise things to restructure things in the mind to regurgitate it onto a computer in a correct order and we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of images that that he had to work with in his mind and um, so the the third waivers at least have been trained very highly in analysis because that's what the greys are excellent at and probably other ET races as well as this very clinical analysis. But the third waivers have got the, the compassion and the spirituality to go with that um, clinical analysis. And that's okay. going to be really important, as you said, for, um, for the future and being able to change some of those institutions that we have now that are, are not, no longer serving us well, uh, serving humanity well. Yeah, yeah. Lana will understand this, but, you know, I've, been involved in healing for many years and I've been many past lives as a doctor and I look at our medical system and it's so broken because they're so left-brained and we really need to bring the consciousness technology into our medical system mm -hmm. and I think that oh, I hope that I pray that those third waivers will really change this medical system which is so uh, fear-based and disease-focused instead of consciousness-focused mm, it's like mm. oh, is it you that said that the third part, who was I talking to? The third, no, that was Penny Kelly. Um, the third part of the physics was the consciousness part that the physicists don't talk about. They talk about the strong pull. The, oh, I don't know. She was talking about it. But, yeah, has anyone got any questions for uh, Susie? Uh, I'm just curious. Um, Susie, you were eight years old and having these experiences. How, how were you able to be with other children? Well, was um, I, was like? I was listening to Karen describing the 12-year-old boy. <laughs> um, well, I was fortunate, I suppose, uh, that I grew up in small-town rural New Zealand um, with farms and animals and outdoors and climbing trees and picking apples. So um, that was a, the kind of childhood I had in the 50s and, and 60s. So um, I think in that respect, um, compared to what the stresses and the technology that children have today, it was a, a lot simpler life. Mm -hmm. So for one thing, that was probably a big help. Um, also, my mother was, um, was very psychic and my whole, you know, my mother's whole family were. And when we sat around the table on a Sunday afternoon with, you know, cups of tea and pieces of cake, I would listen to my great aunts and my grandmother talking about these kinds of things. So I grew up in a family where there was permission to talk about this. It was okay to talk about it. In fact, it was considered normal to do so. Nice. Um, but what I learned from early childhood was that that wasn't the case for other children. <laughs> and, um, and I learned very young that um, the things that I could see and experience um, other children didn't and once I'd learned that lesson a little bit the hard way then it was a, a little bit like being like how I described the third, third wave kids where they keep their information and their abilities under wrap and you you know 
you, you, it serves you well, very quietly. Um, I would look at people sometimes and I would just know that they were lying to me. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say anything. So, but I would be able to use that information um, surreptitiously, if I can put it that way. Mm. So, yeah, I had um, good friends and did all the things that normal kids do. Um, but there were some things that, that kids did that um, I, I didn't want to be a part of and at that point I'd be a bit of a loner for a while some of the things that kids do at different ages just didn't interest me and um, maybe I was quite a, a mature child certainly that's what was always written in my school report and um, and so you know that's how I, I coped with it um, so it, it really wasn't too difficult but there were difficult moments mm-hmm and then what is the name of your book what is the title of your book it's uh, the dual soul connection the alien agenda for human advancement yeah okay so i think um i'm still a little confused by the definition of a wave is that simply a group <coughs> coming in yeah it's um it's a it's a way a, a wave in terms of a group that comes in and keeps coming because um you know, a wave comes in and it starts to break and wash up the shore and, and it slops around and just keeps on coming. Um, so I guess that's, that is the terminology that was given to me as a child. Um, sometimes what the ETs do is reach inside your mind and they find something that you're familiar with that, that they, can couch, they can then couch, couch something within that framework of what you're familiar so it was um, conveyed to me as a wave, three different waves coming in one after the other until they begin to mix and they're all simultaneous. So they're all operating at the same time. So, um, some are, will eventually leave the planet and then pass away in old age, but there'll still be more incarnating within those waves, except for the second wave, which is more finite. Um, and the third wave is, is the result of the second wave parents. Mm, mm, mm. Do they know that they're one of these waves? I mean, are they conscious of it? Well, I think if you look at um, the Indico kids, Star kids, they know that that they're different. They know that they are here for some reason, um, and they're more overt about it. As I said, mm. um, many second wavers know, of course, because they're the ones who've been on craft, seen craft, met ET face to face, have been abducted or been an experiencer or contactee, and uh, so they they know what's going on. But many of them, of course, have only minimal memory of that, just flashbacks here and there, and vague vague dreamlike memories but and those are likely to begin to increase because as we expand our consciousness and we gain greater understanding of what's happening around us and and the evolution that we're going through then um, parts of our memory are going to start opening up and particularly those who've had onboard craft experiences and um, associations with ET are going to start remembering it it's going to come flooding back and those of us in the position of having already gone through that stage and dealt with it earlier in life uh, are going to need to be helping people through those um, those times uh, quite quickly so that they can feel relaxed about it feel comfortable with it and get on with what their little mission their mission or task is at that point in time so once again we have this timing thing and I describe it as the cogs of a wheel because um, 
Some cogs will start moving before the rest of the cogs start to turn before the whole wheel turns. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of those smaller cogs have got a, a distinct and maybe very important job to do in a short period of time. So the time will come when they're going to wake up. And I get lots of people saying to me, writing to me saying, I think I'm waking up. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And, um, and that's a point that a lot of people are reaching now as their consciousness expands, they will know what they've got to do. It will fall into place. It'll drop in front of them and away they'll go. Yeah. 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 I get a lot of um, emails like that too, Susie. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause I've been talking about this stuff for so many years and, I still attract people that are just waking up and I think, okay, we've got to start from the get-go. Like, But they wake up so quickly. Yes, and, yeah. and that's the timing thing, you know. They've, they've, <laughs> they're right on the button. They've got to get going. They've got something to do and yeah. it's soon. And, um, you know, people can become really active very quickly. And, yes. And, um, you know, they might make a few mistakes and fall over a few times until they they realize uh, what it is that they need to do and then they're away. Yeah. And this is right across the board. I mean, I'm not just talking about people in spiritual groups or healing groups or things like that. I'm talking about scientists um, right. and, and, you know, doctors and, and um, geologists, everything. There's all sorts of things that need to be known now to help us now. Yeah, discoveries yeah. and and advancements that need to happen now and very yeah. soon in the future. So there's so many people waking up with in all walks of life. Mm -mm. It's not just a big spiritual epiphany. <laughs> it might be in a big epiphany in your job that you that you've actually been taken on board craft at some time. You've been given a whole lot of information about something to do with the environment or or science or whatever, and out it comes. Mm -mm. And I met a um an executive doctor in the States when I spoke at the Congress last year um, who heard me talking about alien technology and he came up to me afterwards and said, you and I need to talk. Yeah. And he has since given me his PowerPoint to use in my speeches, uh, images from his PowerPoint, because um, he is very busy working on a piece of te medical technology that is significantly behind what the ETs have got that does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, but he is getting there. He's moving there. So he was very interested to hear how I described this, the technology the ETs have that does the same thing they're trying to do with this massive piece of multi-million dollar technology that, is that, that the they're developing. Is that the scanner? That's the one. That's yeah. the body scanner. Yeah, the body scanner. Like mm. we've got, we've got the MRIs, but um, the ETs have got a scanner where they can, they can pinpoint just the blood or just the bone or just this, the lymphocytes mm. or just. It's just amazing, and it's mm. like a small little thing. And we've got these massive big machines, and they've just got this little handheld thing. It's just amazing. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I asked you either at the conference I saw you speak at, or maybe on the show. Uh, why do they need the technology when they have the consciousness technology? And you had a great answer for that. Do you want to answer that again? Like, why do they need a physical piece of technology when they can just use their mind to scan? Because I could look inside people's body and scan mm. people's. So what was yeah. your use Well, us, right? you're talking about the ETs, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Like, well, um, I've been in a, in a room when I left my body and 
emerged as a grey and went to work on a craft and um, and saw them using just their mind to do these things. Yeah. But um, they have been developing on craft what I call bridging technology, yeah. which um, is designed has been designed over many decades, working with um, early contactees, abductees, and experiencers coming on board craft. And we have been taught to use our consciousness in combination with their technology. Not all of their not everything that they need to do can be done just with consciousness. Um, some things can, particularly in the healing arts. But um, but they've been producing scripts and um, computers and other technology that is somewhere between what they've got and what we're trying to develop. Right. And then they have they renew that technology every so many years. And because I've seen updated versions of computers and things on craft. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's still very, um, uh, what's the word? A little backward in terms of what they use themselves. And I have been into the Grey's quarters and seen the kind of thing that they use. But they have been stretching us forward and stretching us forward, seeing how far these people who've been taken on board craft can move with their consciousness and their ability to utilize the technology. And they're trying to bring us up to speed. Um, they're trying to bring us closer and closer to them because one day if they have open contact with us and we saw what they can do, it would be, I can assure you, extremely daunting um, to the point of being frightening for many people. So they have to develop an in-between technology that we can utilize to get that little bit closer to them and then they keep moving us closer to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a great so, conversation. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. Well, Susie, when did you? Um, so you talk about being eight and nine and being on craft. Did, did you have a point where you had memories come flooding back, or did you just always remember everything? Um, well, right from uh, the earliest age I can recall is about eight, and when I started to remember having uh, in in dreamlike form, I guess is the way I, I described it as a child mm. um, memory of being in white rooms with um, these strange entities that I was always trying to see but could not quite see I was aware of their presence and their communications but it was like I was straining to actually see them and I think that that um, was a protection thing that I did not recall what a gray looked like at that stage um, and always the memory of these dreamlike um, sessions were that I was being taught to do things with my mind. Um, I was taught to control my mind in certain ways and to be able to make things move or happen with my mind. Mm. And I can give an example of that. Um, I was with a, a group of these entities. I knew they were there. I knew they were beside me. I could see something white about them, but I couldn't see clear faces that I could recall the next day anyway. Um, and they were putting an image into my mind, uh, into my consciousness of some people I knew, and they were in the water with sharks. And um, they were asking me to assist these people or save them in some way by turning that shark away using my mind. So really it was like a video game being played within the mind 
where using my mind and consciousness, I had to change the video game. I had to change what I was seeing and turn, turn that shark away. And that was a very clear memory for me. Um, and there were other instances as well. But of course, um, often I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have memory of seeing these uh, light, light silhouettes um, by the bed, um, specific physical silhouettes of arms and legs and heads. They were quite short, they had large heads, and I never saw any clothing or physical features of the face, etc. Just that they were there, that they'd come to get me, they were going to take me somewhere and teach me something, that I was helping them in some way, and um, and then I wouldn't remember any more until sometimes I would remember the end of the experience where we were in my room and they were saying, thank you, we're back now, you can turn over and go to sleep. And like magic, I would just seem to go straight off to sleep. And I'm sure that was um, mind control as well. Mm -hmm. So I had these memories going on, which I spoke to my mother about. And um, she couched it in terms of uh, guardian angels who were keeping an eye on me or family members who'd passed over who were coming to visit me and talk to me. Um, but I knew that it wasn't that, but I couldn't express that as a child adequately to an adult. So I just said nothing in response to that. But I knew that, that those explanations did not fit. Mm -mm. So how old were you when you decided to come out publicly and talk about this? Um, I was in my early 30s and um, I was asked by a UFO veteran UFO researcher in New Zealand who'd become a good friend of mine who ran a UFO sighting group in New Zealand. Um, I had talked to him about my experiences and um, he was very nuts and bolts, but he had got to know me and once he heard me talking about this, he became very intrigued in it. And he said, well, he'd heard about Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs and others in the States uh, talking about these things. And um, so he began to look more closely at the whole contact side of things in New Zealand along with me. Um, so I was asked to go on to a radio show and um, I didn't want to use my name because I had a young family and a husband at that time first husband who was not the least bit interested in these things yeah. um, and was very antagonistic about it. So I went on the radio show with a pseudonym uh -huh. and here's this uh, reading, state of readiness kind of thing because um, I, I felt a nervous wreck about going on talking about an experience um, even though I was going to be using another name um, it, it still was a great sense of you know, fear and dread terror. to go and <laughs> terror, yeah, 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 to do this. Um, and I had this feeling that maybe I shouldn't. And um, and as the week went by leading up to the interview, the um, I had memory of um, a group of three ETs coming into my room, and they were trying to warn me about something, and they were trying to stop me from doing something, but I could not remember the next day the details of what that was. Right. And nor did I even align it to um, the interview. It was just, in my mind, it was something separate. And um, so I went ahead and did the interview, and it was a disaster because I was ripped up by the interviewer. Uh, they used a lot of derision, and I was really glad that I hadn't used my name. Um, and then they cut me off. When I tried to explain my thoughts, they just cut me off ear. 
So uh, that mm. was a, an, an awful thing. I, I felt as if I wanted to crawl back into my hole and never, ever come out and talk about oh, it again. I know. I know. Uh, and at that point, um, when I was at that very low point of thinking, why did I do that? I suddenly realized that that visit from the ETs, that was what they were trying to stop me to do from doing because I knew that the effect it would have. I don't know. If, is this your first earth incarnation? Are you a first earther? No. Okay. So you've had a few. Well, still, you know, when you kind of hang out in um, civilizations that have higher consciousness and you come into a civilization that has uh, denser consciousness, you have to acclimate. You have to get to know what it's all about. And mm -hmm. so many of us choose really traumatic childhoods. I know that lots of people have very violent and traumatic childhoods because they're understanding the earth experience and how this polarity and separateness plays out. And that was yet again another experience of how the egoic mind can be so righteous. Like I've seen it on television, you know, these breakfast morning programs, they'll invite someone to come in and talk about their ET sightings or ET experiences. And then they'll rip them to shreds on mm. public television and talk and, you know, laugh at them and use them like just ridicule them and laugh at them. And um, poor old David Icke was on Australian television. And I have to say, um, the interviewer was pretty open to it, but David Icke got really defensive <laughs> and he actually just destroyed the interview by being really defensive. And I thought, no, oh, you lost it. You lost it, David, you know, <laughs> because the interviewer was, you know, some of them were snickering and giggling in the background, but the one that was doing all the questioning, he seemed genuinely interested in what he had to say. But because the others were snickering in the background, David Icke just, just lost it. He became really defensive and he just ruined his own interview. But that's what we're up against, right? When we're out there talking about this stuff, we're up against that ridicule and snickering. and Yes, and that's a good point, Karen, too, because um, I've had a few uh, little tete-a-tetes with the uh, Skeptic Society over here. <laughs> and um, on one occasion, they tried to set me up with releasing um, a drone kind of thing from a park in Auckland with lights on it. Right. And they called into a radio station and the radio station called me and they tried to set me up. But in actual fact, um, it rebounded on them because I think I gave all of the right answers a, a sighting investigator should give the right advice. Um, but, um, yes, I was on with um, one of the uh, head people of the Skeptic Society in New Zealand and um, and even though she, she had information she could have used um, sensibly, she didn't. And I wrote to her afterwards and said, well, why did you do that? And she said, well, actually, um, I think you're doing a really good job and, um, and you know, I agree with what you're saying, uh, etc. And I said, well, why did you take the opposite stance and, and just ridicule? She said, because that's what we do. That's what skeptics do. We take the opposite stance. And from that point on, I began to realize that they're not all bad <laughs> and that um, they're just treating it like a debate and, yeah. and uh, you've got to have the right responses. Otherwise, you know, yeah. they will they're get the better of you. They're testing they you. Have, they have facile comments and, yeah. and you've got to combat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and not logical. lose your cool too much. Not lose your cool. Yeah, just come back with your logic, and yeah, you, that's exactly. Look, mm. I used to run the Academy of Light years ago, and there was and she's passed now, but she was older then. Again, you know, I was in my thirties. She was probably in her seventies, eighties, and she was like that. She would sort of come at me when I'd start talking about stuff with, 
you know, firing questions and ridicule and stuff like that. And then she giggled at the end of it. She said, what did she call? I'm just, I'm just playing the... What's Devil's the advocate. The advocate, yeah. I'm just being the... And I just smiled at her and I said, yeah, I get it. But mm. it really sort of tested me to stay, not mm. get, you know, not get sort of off, you know, bumped off my my stance, you know, to stay in my truth and just come back with logical answers that would 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 answer her questions yeah and um yeah it's it's kind of training really it's training mm. think of that first interview as training Susie oh definitely <laughs> yes <laughs> oh you've gone blank again we haven't had you sort of on screen for a while I don't know if anyone else can can anyone else see Susan first wave of any other questions guys girls I was just curious, um, you know, you've had lots of experiences with the greys and are there other um, star families who are doing work like the greys? Um, yes, well, actually, that's a good question. Thanks, Tatsumi. Um, the programs that I talk about are being run by quite a number of species that are working together. Um, I have never seen reptilians involved, but I have seen mantis and the greys, different species of greys and um, mixed species. So I think that the greys are the front people in the program. So they're the ones that interface with humans the most through the programs. They, they use their skills in certain ways, but I've seen the mantis beings in the background doing things. They're very much the facilitators and organizers um, and then there are souls as well as a whole um, what I call like a, a communion of souls that are responsible for the incarnation of souls onto our planet like a, a committee if you want to put it that way and they're involved as well so um, I, I would imagine that there are also some world leaders and other prominent people who are incarnated on the planet at the time who are part of this whether they realize it consciously or not. I think there's, I've seen uh, groups of scientists and groups of geologists and um, groups of medical people, all kinds of people being taken on board craft and lectured to and given information and given what I call thought seeds, which is a, like a little implant of information in their mind that will be triggered and open at a certain time when they best may need to access that kind of information and it will come into their conscious mind and they may not realize it where it's come from, but they'll be able to utilize it for the betterment of mankind or, or the work that they're doing mm -hmm. there's a great scene in the first men in black my daughter and i used to love men in black when she was little there's a big screen when they're in the like headquarters the et sort of the men in black headquarters there's a big screen of prominent people and they say to the guy men in black you see all these are ets and um like one of them was Anthony Robbins. I remember, I think it was around the time I'd been doing Anthony Robbins stuff. And I remember seeing, yep, he's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely, but there were politicians and all sorts of people on this screen. And yeah. And I think that there's so much truth in that, you know, yes, there's yes. So much truth in that. <laughs> Anthony Robbins is definitely an ET. <laughs> so much to your experiences. Um, I was trying not to repeat what I've said on the show. I don't know if everyone's watched the show and probably not everyone's watched the show. But the thing that struck me the most about our conversation, Susie, was the, 
was the experience you had um, where they uh, took you into that room and were trying to teach you and other hybrids, you know, how to manifest, how to, but they're phys- but using the physics of the physical body to dematerialize and rematerialize. Mm. That mm. was just, that <clears throat> struck me as, yes, um, repeat that because it was just, fascinating yeah that's um that's one of the chapters i sent to rudy that i thought um he would turn up his toes and say no i'm not not looking at any more of this material (laughs) but um that was the one that he really liked the most and could associate with in terms of of um interesting physics and um consciousness so a group of us a small group of eight of us were taken into a room and uh, on a craft a very very large craft like a city and um we were told before we went in there that uh, this was going to be a bit different, that they were going to be testing us out a little bit. They were going to ask us to participate, if possible, um, not just listen and watch, but really participate. And um, we'd somehow or other been selected for this out of a larger group of humans, and I'm not sure how that selection was made, but it resulted in a small number. So we were taken into... A room and the moment uh, I walked into this white room which wasn't very big um, it it somehow had a different spatial feeling about it and um, I couldn't put my finger on what that might be but it felt a little strange and um, so we had one gray telling us well we're going to actually expand the space now so you will see the walls move away from you and we've I've seen this quite a lot of times on inside craft and when I've been standing outside a craft ready to be taken on board the craft has been very small and I've been thinking well I'll have to bend double to get in the door and how are we all going to fit in there but the moment you begin to enter the entranceway and everything inside of that craft suddenly becomes much bigger and very spacious So this is something that we don't understand and certainly haven't mastered and probably won't anytime soon. Yeah. But But, um, the concept has been in that silly show my ex-husband used to love, that English show, The TARDIS. The TARDIS. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) What's that show? (laughs) The telephone Um, booth. Yeah, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Yeah, you walk into the telephone booth. and That's right. It's like, yeah, go on. Right. So... um, so we watched the the uh, walls begin to move away until we could no longer see them and we were now just in a white space um, that seemed endless. And if it wasn't for the fact that my feet were on the floor and the floor was kind of soft and rubbery, I would have actually felt that I was floating because that was the sensation that came with this expansion in the room. And I soon realized that it wasn't just the space around us that that expanded. It was our consciousness was expanding as well. So we were becoming very, very tuned in to the ETs that were in the room. So there was an equally small group of ETs um, that began to emerge from this light. And, um, And they then said to us that they were going to show us their relaxation or their recreation. And at that point, their their bodies just began to disintegrate. So it was like watching. They they said they would color their their form so that we could see this happening. So we had these streams of color just coming off their bodies, and they d- just disintegrated in front of us. 
and they went up into the space and moved around and asked us. So we had, we could still, still hear what I called in my book, the thought voice. So we could still comprehend this, these instructions and dialogue coming from that gray who was running the show. Um, asking us to visualize a particular object in our mind and they then utilized their form in this mist-like molecular form to reform into those shapes so one of the humans with me said a pencil you know visualized a pencil and they formed a pencil using the information from his mind of what a pencil looks like and um, a honeybee was another one and a lotus flower was another one. So quite simple objects, but they would form in the ether in this room, those objects in, in full, full definition color. <laughs> um, and then they asked us if we would like to try to emulate that. So could we let ourselves go to the extent that our body could begin to disintegrate into this form? And this was a a really um, highly focused moment. I can recall the, the focus was tremendous and, um, and the will to do that. But at the same time, this little bit of fear of, well, if I do that, will I be able to get back together again? You know, so there were these very human thoughts running through our minds at that point. And um, none of us did it, but we all really broke down because the amount of love pure love and encouragement and warmth that was coming from them from their disintegrated form through consciousness was completely overwhelming and it got us to the point of euphoria we felt euphoric and such joy and um Joy is a word that humans don't use very much we often see it in um religious uh form where you know it's yeah. often in religious writing but it's pure joy is something that most of us don't feel in our day-to-day -day lives and probably very often throughout our entire lives don't really feel that intense joy yeah. that that is available to us that we don't avail ourselves of and that's what we felt we felt this euphoric intense joy in response to the love that they were sending to us and then slowly they came back down and reformed themselves into their forms. Um, we were extremely tearful. It was a very highly emotional experience. And once the room began to move back and take the form of that small white room again, I remember turning my head and looking through the doorway. There was no door across it. And it was as if we're, while this room was coming back together and I looked at that doorway, it was as if I was looking through a drop of water because um, the figures on the other side were sort of distorted and magnified as you would see something through a drop or reflected in a drop of water. And I knew that there was something very, very different about the atmosphere and environment in that room that was conscious consciousness enhancing our own consciousness. So there was this greater consciousness in the room that, that we were a part of but was also being directed to us and and encompassing us and i really can't think of another way to describe that it's very difficult to describe i just find that so fascinating just 
fascinating. Um, the closest thing that I've come to that is when I was a young massage uh, person, masseuse, I was massaging a Hollywood movie star. They came, was out here making a B-grade movie. And she had a picture of a guru sitting on her, um, the chest of drawers near where I was massaging. And I remember massaging and looking at this Indian guru with long hair. Pretty sure it was Yogananda actually, but anyway, it was years ago. Thinking, what is all this Indian guru stuff? What is it about these people that pray to the gurus? I don't get it. And I had this experience of feeling my head expand. And it was obviously, a, you know, my crown chakra was opening, but the experience felt visceral. It felt physical, like my head was literally expanding. And to the point where I felt like my ears were going to touch the walls. And in my logical mind, I'm thinking, well, my head is not expanding, but yet I'm having that sensation of it physically growing. And I guess that's the closest thing I've ever come to what you've talked about, just that that space, perceptual space thing of having an experience that's, yeah, that's sort of like it's all perception, isn't it? Mm, like, a, mm. uh, And I started channeling and giving this woman a message. And um, I tell you what, though, I had a headache for three days after that because mm. my consciousness, you know, I was young and I was still full of critical thoughts and, um, and self-criticism. My consciousness wasn't ready for what I downloaded at that time. So I had to... Um, clean up my own consciousness to be able to do more of that and I think that that's what you're talking about too it's like the ETs can access that joy because they don't roll around in the sort of critical thoughts that humans do right mm. <laughs> they don't they're not into competition or judgment or you know like that stuff we were discussing before they're just into unity and let's get the job done and you know they work in in union with each other they feel more that oneness that we speak about in spiritual circles is that right yes but also um karen on the craft <clears throat> there's something that i call the big brain uh-huh and um i referred to coming in contact with the big brain uh as a 12 year old as well and um and this is something that even i um have diff some difficulty still comprehending and being able to isolate exactly what it is. So we've got the consciousness of the craft and I've been taught to fly a scout craft. So I know what that consciousness of the craft in terms of navigation and flight is like. But this big brain, what I refer to as a big brain, is something else that they tap into. And um, when I was shown through the Grey's quarters as a 12-year-old, um, they showed me where they sleep and, and um, they don't actually sleep as such, they rest. And when okay. they do this, they tap into this consciousness. They tap into this uh, big brain within the craft, this mass consciousness. And it rejuvenates them. It, um, it's rather like a defragging a computer. It's as if it goes through their, their consciousness and... Um, and reassigns and realigns after their day's work or whatever. Um, and it also assists them to have that feeling of, of recreation and peace and rejuvenation. So that's how they have recreation and they rejuvenate themselves, rejuvenate themselves on a soul or spiritual level. 
um, as opposed to things that we might do um, in our life to to get that same feeling of relaxation or or happiness well so, yeah it's a strange uh, form of consciousness that they are able to utilize in a multitude of ways yeah well in the past before i don't know consciousness and spirituality we'd do things like get massages and go for holidays and do that but now it's like meditation and yoga now mm. everyone's like obsessed with meditation and yoga which is fabulous mm. and i think that as humans we do that we you know, we could call the big brain the higher self, if you like, but the ETs have more of a collective higher self. You know, as humans, we're so into separateness that we think that our higher self is just us. You know, like it's me, it's my soul, it's me. But I've been told by my mob that my higher self is this group consciousness. It's a stream of energy. And then when I tap into my higher self, I'm tapping into a collective consciousness it's not just me you know mm. and i think that that's probably what they do they tap into that collective consciousness that higher self that group soul that oversoul i don't know i don't think we have words for it susie um no we don't no. But yeah i think they certainly they have different levels of this um higher self and and i agree with you karen i think that um the higher self is a is a mass consciousness Collective, with everything yeah. available to it and um and we just don't really know how to use it well yet yeah. but um they also have uh well on my computer my my the guys who fix my computer have got what they call a team viewer um so if i click on the team viewer when i'm talking to them on the phone and they click on it at their end they can go into my computer and have a look at what's wrong from a distance right um and we can talk on team viewer uh with you know two or three of the tech guys and i guess that's very similar to this one of the levels of consciousness that they have on the craft is that they have like a team viewer where if they're doing a certain task or job, they can all tap into each other's thoughts specifically about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, I and it doesn't, doesn't have to go any further than that. It's just like, okay, what are we doing today? What are you doing such and such? Okay, well, I'm down here in this room and I'm doing that. We'll come up there shortly. It's like this um, team viewer working out the day's procedures. And, uh, and I, th I think there's a lot of that goes on on board the craft because they have so many thousands of humans have been going on board craft for years, probably millions, that um, it, it begs, begs belief to, to uh, understand how many craft they've got up there at one time transporting people around. Mm. <clears throat> but now, of course, um, <clears throat> things have changed a little bit as we've moved further along the track and more people who are used to going on board craft have acquired some of the skills of the ETs of being able to go and appear on craft in other forms. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the need now. They don't have the need for as many craft to be in our skies at night. Okay. Uh, anybody got any questions before I just, cause you know me, I can rub it on forever. Just pop <laughs> in, pop in if you've got any questions. Because, you know, that's what this inner sacrum is all about, so that you can ask your questions. <laughs> Not just listen to us, yeah, but, but anyway. We're <laughs> okay, one of the other things that you said that fascinated me was, because I have these conversations with my mob all the time, but I'm down here in a human consciousness with limited perspective. So I've got to wrap my puny brain around concepts, which is bigger than what we understand as humans. And I think about telepathy. And I think about how um, I had this conversation with Penny Kelly, you know, everyone's 
upset about privacy and, and Penny, who's an extremely advanced consciousness teacher said, you know, well, there is no privacy. I mean, really, um, because, you know, as we evolve into a telepathic society, obviously there's no privacy because we're all communicating telepathically. But you said that they have the ability to compartmentalize that tele telepathy. So I can have a conversation with someone telepathically and I can sort of block you guys out a bit like Zoom. I can mute you and block you out while the rest of us talk, right? Yep, that's right. I've seen this happen a number of times on craft, in particular on one occasion um, when we were being to told about disclosure, looking at disclosure from their perspective. And, um, and we were given a bit of a lecture about it. And then at the end of that lecture, uh, there was a question time and uh, uh, some of the humans burst into instant questions that were really covering material that the ETs had already explained in detail as to why disclosure could not happen anytime soon. And this was back in the 80s or early 90s. Right. And, um, and it was as if half of the humans present had just not listened. They had been listening to themselves and what they wanted to see happen. And they were not listening to what, what had been presented to us as an evening of, of understanding the ET perspective on this mm -hmm. and the ET perspective on what some people on our planet are trying to achieve on their behalf. And we, we were being told how they felt about that mm -hmm. and their thoughts on it. And these people just totally ignored it um, and did not even couch questions that took that into, into account. So the ET then decided to address us, uh, but he only wanted to address those who had comprehended okay. and understood. And um, so he just cut the others out and he said, okay, I'm addressing you now. Those ones are going to be shifted into another program because they're no longer any use in this program. They are no longer reliable to work in this program with you guys because they, know, they have this different perspective and they're hard and fast on it and they're not willing to listen and take on board new information and consider that information. So they're, they're absolutely useless in this program now. They cannot do this work any longer. So those people were sitting there totally unaware of what was being said because we were being addressed telepathically and they were not. So I know that they can isolate people in a room I have seen them um, message pe people in a room of, you know, 25 or 30 people where they have been watching you and reading your mind basically throughout the whole session, how yeah. you're reacting to information, what you're assimilating and what you're not. And by the end of the session, they know who within the room has missed out on something important that they need mm -hmm. or who's got a wrong concept, got it muddled up and needs that reiterating. And at the end of the thing, the guys up the front just went, whoosh, and I call it multiple messaging. And out went all these telepathic messages to each person in the room with the exact information that each of us needed, multiple messaging. So, um, there's so much that we need to learn about um, telepathy and consciousness and how it can be utilized. We, we are very much in the kindergarten stages at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm getting the analogy of Zoom. 
So Zoom has the ability. I can individually message you, right? And yep. no one else can see what I'm doing. Just Or I can press to everybody and I can message. Every so it's so actually you can even do that. Zoom has the ability to have breakout. So we could have breakout rooms. So I could just take you and Judy and have a breakout room and we could chat. And then we can come back to the group, you know, mm. like it's just, and it's sort of like yep. we can do that with our minds. We mm. can do that with our minds. It's so yep. And uh, you're right, Karen, and so many of these concepts and things that we are developing are the junior stages of what they've already got. And, mm. you know, I've discussed this with Dr. Rudy Schild, you know, is this us following a particular line of physics and technology or is this them introducing this bridging stuff again is this them um introducing some of the technology that's coming out in our in our world is it really our doing or have they been dropping little um buckets of information into some scientist or technology technological person's mind that comes up with these things yes we're a highly creative and intelligent race and we're capable of great things but um if they want to move us along quickly if they can see things happening in our future that they're concerned about and if they want to move us along a little faster so that we evolve to the point of meeting them face to face much sooner then they are going to start introducing this um, bridging technology and introducing ideas and concepts to our scientists and um and uh you know brainy people <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's both. You say, you say it is either or, like, is it just us being clever or them giving us? And I think it's, but I think that they're giving it to us and it's our cleverness that can get the download and then actually action the download. I mean, that's the cleverness of the human because you can get like there are, you know, we all have brilliant insight inspirations. You know, we all get these drops of, like I've had about just about a million, you know, when you're connected, you just have, one idea after another it's actioning that idea that mm. is the hard part as a human you know like you get this like oh my god that's so brilliant and then you've got to make sort of action that so i think it's both it's the cleverness of the human who can action the the, the information that we're given uh from our either ets or higher self or wherever it comes from so it could come mm. from many places archangels or I think that it's not just the ETs that are inspiring humanity. There's a whole mob. Mm. <laughs> it's a whole mob of them, yeah. Yes. And then, of course, Karen, we've got the technology that may have been back engineered. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> they know what that t technology is meant to do, but they, they haven't got the consciousness bit. And exactly. so they develop something that might achieve close to what the ETs could achieve, but um, but it's it's more complex. It's um, it's a big piece of machi machinery, and as we were talking about earlier, rather than something that's a lot simpler, that that works um, in a in an advanced manner. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole thing about the ET way of life and their technology and their telepathy and everything like that is it's extremely complex. But they have found ways to make it produce it very simply so you know you sit at a computer and it it, it is uh greatly simplified by the use of of consciousness and telepathy mm, mm, mm. well that's kind of appearing it's starting to appear thought control computers thought control games what do you think about this uh, secret space program where 
there is a part or a section of the human race that is secret and covert that has back engineered ET technology and is using consciousness technology as well as um, hardware technology that is just far in advance of what mainstream humanity has. Well, um, funny you should bring that up. You know, some information I feel very drawn to looking at or listening to. Mm -hmm. um, And some information coming out, I just don't feel drawn to looking at at all. Mm -hmm. And the whole secret space thing, I don't feel drawn to looking at. And I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's entirely possible that that there is um, very advanced technology that we've developed and are using covertly. That's entirely Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. because I recall something that the ETs said, which I've written about in my book, where um, at one of the meetings with about 250 humans in in a base, um, we were told that in the future we would discover um, it would come to light worldwide um, man harming man man deceiving man there would be a great deception uncovered Mm -hmm. and um the emotion that this created in us i do not recall if we were told what it was i don't think we were but the emotion that he was conveying was absorbed by us all and it was it was uh it was devastating Mm -hmm. so in I think of things that are revealed every day of humans harming humans. That that happens all the time. Mm. And it has right throughout history, this horrific things we've been responsible for against each other. Mm. But this must be something so unbelievably horrific if the ETs have isolated this time when this will happen and it will rock us to our core and it will be the cause of us making many, many changes. Yeah, well... One of the things is the petrochemical industry and the medical industry. You know, if, the, if they have technology like you've seen on craft that is operating within humanity that can cure cancer in an instant, um, why hold that back? Like mm. why are so many hundreds and thousands and millions of people dying of cancer? And also the petrochemical industry, it's all a money-based thing. If there is technology, well, we all know there's technology that can power you know, uh, vehicles that ha- doesn't have to pollute the world. Uh, yes, yeah. but but the point is, I think, um, you're quite right. But what we do is um, we, we hear about it, we think about it briefly, and then get on we, with our life. we forget about it. We <laughs> get on with life. And hey, the we know that there's this, we suspect there's stuff there, but we don't actually, only a few brave people make the effort to find out about it. The, I mean, and I'm guilty of it too. You can be looking at Facebook and you can be flicking through things and you'll see something that's terrible. Um, but ultimately you read it, you feel bad, and then you carry on scrolling. And that's what we do in life is we carry on scrolling. But the time is going to come when something will be so unbelievably abominable to all of humanity that we'll finally do something and we'll, we'll stop, stop scrolling. scrolling. And we'll actually involve ourselves and great changes will occur very quickly because of that. Yes, Susie. Yes, Susie. 
I just wish I knew what it was. But then to know, well, in, you know, to know in advance. The, the reason might, I wanted you, know, you to talk to Kevin. So Kevin, I've, you know, just found Kevin. He's one of my favorites. You know, I've got a few favorites, like, like people that rock my world. You're one of them who say things to me because I've been showcasing new old teachers for like 25 years uh, in one form or another. And there are some things that some of you say that rock my world. And Kevin's one of them. He's one of the, the second waivers. So he's like, I don't know how old he is. He's either late 50s or early 60s. But he, up until 18 months ago, has had extraordinary experience with his ET friends, the Galactic Federation, and um, would have kept it completely silent. He would have been completely silent and gone to his grave and not spoken to anyone until 18 months ago when his guides, who were on the Federation, said, okay, you've got to start talking now. And he's like, well, okay, I can do that. And they said, well, you, know, you need to write a book. And he goes, oh, I don't know how to do that. And they said, well, we'll help you. But he has this fascinating story and he said that he was asked to be a part of the big reveal. Some people call it disclosure. Mm. And um, he also got a lot of downloads that he didn't understand that were, were very based in quantum physics. And I introduced you guys because I thought because you've worked with Rudy, you could probably help him with that. But, you know, he's been told that disclosure is around the corner. Mm. I, I'm sceptical because we've heard this before, but maybe that's what the big, you know, maybe that's the sh thing that they're telling you when there is this disclosure, this reveal of what we talk about on the show and mass humanity comes to understand that and the implications of that, like the implications of that, that, that it will knock us out of our collective hypnosis scrolling on Instagram. You know, I've watched my brother do it just like a robot. Mm. he came to stay with me for six months and I'm pretty sure it's like he's hypnotized just scrolling on Instagram it's just like this collective hypnosis yeah mm. so maybe it's that I don't yeah well I, I I think that um there's two things that are possible here and um one is disclosure and I I know you in in Australia Karen will probably align with what I say um, the ladies from the states might understand disclosure the push for disclosure differently to us um, disclosure in the states from my understanding and please ladies correct me if I'm wrong but um, disclosure in the states has a lot to do with the American government American governmental disclosure on the ET issue but on uh, many other things as well political things as well so that that is the meaning of disclosure there for us in new zealand and in some of the other countries i've spoken and disclosure is a little different people aren't relying on what the government american government might say about um about et they are more interested in what the rest of the world might have to say about it in europe or scandinavia the uk australasia etc we're not tied into um, what American politician might have said this or that about ET. We're, we're more tied into uh, maybe a bigger picture because the States is such a big country. Of course, um, their picture is already big. But for us in smaller countries in the rest of the world, it, it has a different perspective. Um, and I think that people get confused between disclosure happening and ET land, landing um, en masse and greeting us and shaking hands. Uh, it may be that 
when governments start being truthful about what they know, that's a form of disclosure. Mm. But there's many other forms of disclosure happening every day and have been for decades, if not yeah. hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a matter of us taking all of that on board and working towards a point from, from there where we can actually meet face-to-face -face because um, that may not happen for very many years after the disclosure of what governments may know. Mm -hmm. um, society has to be ready for that and I, I can't see that it is at present I can't see that either but I think that's been a manipulated thing like apparently uh, 10 years ago there was a guy that was given the mandate to be a part of uh, disclosure on a mass scale and he went to his grave having never achieved that um, and I think that that was probably a manipulated thing um, because there are people that are too invested in it not being disclosed because there's too much money to be made, you know, like in, in, in feeding people fear and then selling them drugs and, and pet, you know, like stuff. So um, I don't know. So 10 years on, according to Kevin, I don't know, you'll have to talk to him and I'd like to hear the two of you what you come up with. Yet again, there's another mission for this to happen. Mm. Um, whether it does, it might be thwarted again, you know, mm. I don't know. but. Um, I think that um, there's going to be a lot of people in my age group and older who go to their grave and don't see ET. Um, <laughs> Mary and I were talking about that yesterday. She said, I'll be really pissed off if I die and I don't see disclosure happen in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think this is, this is what the three waves is, is about, is that um, it's about hedging their bets that the three, what the third wave is going to go on into the future, as are some of the first wave coming in. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're going to keep incarnating, so the momentum is going to keep going, working towards this end of this cosmic unity mm -hmm. with other species. But some of us who have been doing this work all their life, and I have been right from childhood involved in this, and then from the age of twenty. So this is my 45th year of being involved in the UFO and contact subjects. So I've give, I will have given my entire life to it, my adult life, but I may not see um, what is in store for the earth yet. I might be have gone and be working up there on a craft somewhere towards it. I don't know. But, um, you know, uh, this is what the three waves rolling in one after the other and continuing the momentum is all about didn't they show you some screens of probable futures of earth when you were younger they showed me um they showed me screens of uh, uh, and a lot of other humans that i was with of mm -hmm. earth changes mm -hmm. and um and they they said they were absolutely shocking. They were far worse than anything I've seen on television so far. And we have seen a lot of um, shocking thing, earthquakes and um, tsunamis, etc., happen on the planet. It's happening all the time somewhere. There's something like that happening mm -hmm. at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, but they are increasing, as we know. Our, our weather, etc., is getting worse and much more severe. So there will be more of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they also gave us some hope in that they said these things will happen, 
but the extent to which they happen and the damage that they do is really up to us. And here we're talking about collective consciousness yeah. and we're talking about the collective consciousness with our planet as well. Yes. So we're not just talking about the collective consciousness between humans. It's um, to do with the animals and all the species on our planet yes. and the realization that these are sentient beings and they must be cared for and preserved yes. as well as the planet. So it's a very big collective consciousness that involves all of us and all things. Yeah. And um, the more we work towards that in the meantime, and it's been what, two and a half decades since that they gave us that message. Um, the more we work, the, the less impact it might have for many people. Yes. Earth care, earth care, earth care is what I'm getting. Yeah. And the collective consciousness, not just between humanity and, the, and, and, and um, other animal species, but are, um, you know, having, having relationships with trees and, you know, mountains and patches mm. of earth. It's like yeah. I, spent, I spent most of winter in Byron Bay a couple of months and up there, there's just so many people into earth care, so many people connected to the land. It's just amazing the consciousness of earth care up there. But having that communion with Gaia herself, like having that collective consciousness of the unity with the planet itself, not just each other. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And on another occasion, um, they also uh, talked to me about... Um, power of intent on animate and inanimate objects uh -huh. so um, living objects can be affected as we now know plants can be affected by an angry voice or whatever mm -hmm. um, but um, inanimate objects like your table and your chair can also carry the vibration and anyone who's done psychometry can tell you that that um, a watch or someone's ring or a piece of jewelry or a piece of clothing can carry a vibration. And they showed me how um, the, the big industrial corporation industry and the military um, are, are endowing objects such as bullets and guns and boxes that the guns are stored in and the trucks that carry them around etc are all endowed with that negative energy and so we need to be careful with any inanimate objects around us about the intent of that object and what we endow it with with our own um, aura and our own uh, emanation that we put out each day absolutely Susie I live this you know, I spoke to Richard Bach years ago, who was a, a pilot, an amazing spiritual teacher, but he spoke about his plane like a, like a lover, <laughs> you yeah. know, like he had this love affair with his plane. And um, I stopped paying insurance on my car because I just paid me like thousands and thousands of dollars and they'd never paid me anything when I made a claim. So I thought, <laughs> but I speak to my car like I do a person, you know, I thank her and give her a name and you know she's an inanimate object but she's she's she holds a vibration and and just in a really simple way it's like I had a group of people over here and I cleaned the house and I bought flowers and I appreciated the house and people walk in and they go oh such a lovely energy in here and it's that appreciation of the inanimate objects it's mm. like your home even though I've got old crappy furniture that's falling to bits I still look at it and say you're beautiful mm. you know what I mean so it's this consciousness is imbued in everything which the ETs get right but 
we don't understand that mostly on the most part as humans i think that's right and that's well said karen because you're you're saying, telling us that we can create the environment we live in the vibration of that environment yeah yeah appreciation mm. appreciation mm. like just saying something like emoto said you know looking at something and saying you're beautiful i love mm. you it could be a, a crappy old couch you found like this couch i sit on i found on the street <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the furniture I have in my home I picked up off the street, funnily enough. And but I appreciate it, you know, even though it was free and it's used and somebody threw it out. And yeah, and it holds that vibration of appreciation. Yeah. Mm. Everything mm. can hold in a vibration of appreciation. And people respond to it. Everyone that comes into my home says, Oh, it's lovely energy in here. And, you know, I live in the city with a block of flats looking over and people farting next door in their toilets and stuff. It's like city, you know. It's not like I have, like up in Byron, you know, or where you are probably, Susie, you know, acres of beautiful land. I've got an ugly red brick house across the road, blocks of flats all around me, you know. It's a city. But when you appreciate, you just imbue that energy into the inanimate objects or yeah. even an animate object, your cat, your husband, you know, your kids, <laughs> your neighbour. That's right. Yep. Yes. Oh, darling one. Well, we've come to the end of our two hours together. It's just been fascinating. I've been doing all the talking. Well, I want to thank you all very much for being very patient and polite and been really nice to meet you and see your faces. I can't see you live. You can contact me through communicatorlink.com or through ufocusnz.org.nz. Um, On the page where I have the show I did with Susie, I've got the link to her book and her links to the website. And if you want her email, I can um, put it in the chat room and on Facebook. Thank you. Uh, when I'm in Brisbane, I'm just doing a discussion afternoon, just a, a two and a half hours, and it's, it's going to be short, short and sharp. When are you doing that, Susie? Friday, the 27th of September, next oh, week. Oh, that's my birthday. Mm. Oh, so you're going to be okay. in Brisbane. Are you coming to Sydney? You, you, Barbara could do yes, that. You're near yes, Brisbane. I, I am coming to Sydney. I'm speaking at U4 on the 5th. On the 5th of October. Yep. Oh, okay. So you will be in Sydney. Yep. Ladies, you can also contact me on Messenger on fa through Facebook Messenger. Okay. I'm on Facebook, Susie Hanson. So, and I've got a YouTube channel, Suzanne Hanson channel. I see you all. Bye. Again. Big love.